Glory be to the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. St. Joseph, pray for us. So we're going to talk about Christmas and preparation for Christmas. Hmm? Going beyond Santa Claus, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, and Frosty the Snowman. We want to go beyond that. Right, Jack? So you have your sheet. You put your thinking caps on. Okay, Christmas, what is the reason for the season? I'm a potent, I don't even know it, right? (laughs) For many, Christmas is simply a time to celebrate. For many. Yeah. It is a time and season to have a lot of fun for a lot of people. Kind of live it up, no? Eating, drinking, partying, viewing shows, going to movies, YouTube clips. It is the essence of Christmas for huge numbers. Sad to say. Right? Who are some of the persons that play a key role in Christmas? Well, there's Santa Claus and Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Remember him? <laughs> and then there's Frosty the Snowman if you live on the East Coast. huh? I don't think these kids have ever seen the snowman, but we used to make snowmen when, when it was cold out, no? <laughs> so for many, even Catholic Christians... All the above play a prominent role of importance for Christmas. For us, there's a, a deeper meaning for Christmas. So going beyond the paganistic, materialistic, hedonistic view of Christmas, there is truly authentic, there's a truly authentic reason for the season. Amen? Reason for the season. Our response, Jesus is the authentic reason for the season. So the real gift that God wants us to receive is not so much a material gift, Rather, the gift is a person. That person is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen? If you take Jesus out of Christmas, it is like taking our heart from our body. We simply have to die. I mean, I take your heart out of your body, you're dead, right? So take Jesus out of Christmas has no meaning for us as Christian Catholics. Therefore, let us do all we within our power to set the stage for Christmas. Let us strive to do all in our power to be prepared and ready for the most important birthday in the history of humanity, and that's Christmas, the birthday of Jesus. Okay? All right. 
which tests our knowledge of the real Christmas. Rita, can you close the door? Thank you. The season. The season, le- season leading up to Christmas, I'll give you a hint, I talked about it two weeks ago. I spent a whole hour on it. No way? Advent. Good. So the season leading up to Christmas is called Advent. We're in Advent now. Okay, now we celebrate Our Lady Guadalupe last Sunday, but any of you remember how many candles we lighted in the Advent wreath? And what are the different colors? We spoke about that. If you have a long-term memory that goes beyond two weeks, huh? How many candles? Four, and three were lighted, right? Two were purple, and another candle was pink. Why is that? Joy, because Jesus is about to be born, and that's a reason to be very joyful, right? Yeah, so the reason is the joy of Christ who's about to be born. The pink is joy. You notice that the priest came out in pink. And the Mass of Our Lady Guadalupe, not all of us came out in pink because we didn't have enough chasubles of pink. <laughs> but those who were able to wear it, they wore the pink. All right, so let's move on. A lot to cover in a short time. So, where was, where was Jesus actually born? In, in New York, Chicago, Buenos Aires, Rome, Cairo. Huh? Where? Ah, oh, close, but no cigar, <laughs> as we say. Where was he born? Microphone. Where was he born? Go ahead. You're feigning. You're faking ignorance, so your brother doesn't get angry at you, right? <laughs> he was born. I think Th- Thomas said where? Bethlehem. Okay, so write down Bethlehem. Any of you know Spanish? How would you say? Bethlehem, it's, it's, it's hard in English. In, English, in Spanish it's easy. How do you say it in Spanish? Belen. Okay, so English is kind of a hard word to pronounce. Bethlehem. So he's born in Bethlehem. Well, let's see. You seem to be a walking dictionary of knowledge, I'd have to say. What does Bethlehem mean? You don't know, I think you know. Joseph. Wait, is it the house of bread? You got it, hey. So why don't you write down next? Very well, very good. Bethlehem means the house of bread.
Joseph, can you see a sacramental connection between the house of bread and the sacrament? What would that be? What's the greatest sacrament? What? What is one thing we call communion? John chapter 6, any of you know? Yes, but what, uh, what else is it called related to what we eat? It's the bread of life, okay? So it's the house of bread. So Jesus is the bread of life. See the connection there? So the bread of life was born in Bethlehem because that's the house of bread. Very appropriate, right, Jack? Yeah. And if you like the Bible, you can find that in John chapter 6. It's called the Bread of Life Discourse. Okay, John chapter 6. Okay. These are going to be theological scholars after two years, right, Rita? <laughs> okay. Ah. What does the name Jesus really mean? It means Savior. It means Savior. When the Archangel Gabriel announced to Mary that she was going to be the mother of God, she said, His name is Jesus because He will save the people of their sins. So Jesus, and then He gives a definition of what His name means, He will save the people of their sins. So Jesus saved us from from what and who? That's number five. He saved us from eternal death. He saved us from slavery to sin. He saved us from sadness. And and the last is he saved us from the fires of hell. That's pretty important. Saved us from the fires of hell. He saved us from all those bad things. And he gave us life and life in abundance. Okay, I already, I guess I jumped the gun there. The meaning of the town, so right down, Bethlehem, as Joseph said, it's house of bread. Bethlehem house of bread. So now, who were among the first to visit the infant Jesus? So Jesus is born. There's going to be people that come to visit him. You know? Okay, but even good, very good, but uh, let's see, let's try to go in, in chronological order. Chronological Okay, Thomas? Okay, so it's first the shepherds. Okay, so the first would be the shepherds. 
Master, what do they teach us? Uh, various lessons they teach us. Okay, write down. Silence. Silence. Simplicity. And detachment from material goods. How about that? Silence, simplicity, and detachment from material things. Now look at our modern world. A lot of noise. We're bombarded by noise. When I was studying to become a priest, I studied in Rome... So I said in the city of Rome. And uh, I lived in probably the, the noisiest house in Italy. And I'll tell you why. Because if you ever go to Rome, go to Via Casolina, the parish of St. Helena. It was the noisiest place in the world. Right over us, very close was the Fiumicino. You know what that is? It's the famous Roman airport right over us, no? And right next to us was train tracks. Okay. And next to the train tracks was a busy, a busy city street. And the sidewalk, I don't think they have it today, but you remember, remember reading Mary Mopeds? Do they still exist, Mopeds? No, I guess, I guess not. It's, got, it's kind of like, uh, it's kind of like a motorcycle, a mini motorcycle. Do they still make them? Okay. But they make a lot of noise. So they'd be driving right in front of my window. And then there would be, they didn't have cell phones because this is 38 years ago. They'd be the, uh, there'd be the, the telephone calling one of the priests. Then there'd be the loudspeaker. And then next to our robe, we'd have the courtyard where the Italian boys would be playing soccer and yelling. Than having a roommate that would snore at night. I mean, <laughs> I, it's a miracle that I'm not deaf. <laughs> and that was four years. Can you imagine that? <laughs> no, really, it was ten different things, no? And then uh, you know, the Italian would, would blow off firecrackers too to make things even more interesting, no? <laughs> but I got through it, no? No, I love silence. <laughs> No wonder why, right? <laughs> so, um, see, it's the importance of silence. I, I, I don't know how I ever got through that, no? I still can hear pretty well. <laughs> On a human level, the, some of the greatest discoveries in the world came about in silence. Albert Einstein the theory, have you Albert Einstein? The theory of relativity? That was discovered in silence, right? Did you ever hear of William Shakespeare? Oh, I haven't heard of William Shakespeare. Yeah? Okay. So he wrote his masterpieces. He wrote three different literary genres, which would be tragedies, histories, and comedies. They're all written. In silence. 
Hamas, what would be the greatest theological work? I'll give you a hint. He's your patron saint. You got it, good. So the Summa Theologica was written by St. Thomas Aquinas. That was done in silence. No? How about Mary, the interior castle of Teresa of Avila? Was that written in silence? Yes. So all these literary, spiritual masterpieces were done in silence. Are you afraid of silence? Maybe because your conscience is bothering you. Shakespeare says in Macbeth, conscience doth make cowards of all of us. No? <laughs> in the silent of the night when we're not at peace with our conscience, it's like an executioner. No? So, <laughs> it's, it's important that we have silence. Do you know the first thing I do in the morning? I hear my alarm clock is about 5 o'clock. About 5 o'clock, get up about 5 o'clock. And then the first thing I do is I, I say my consecration to Mary, then I kiss my scapular, then I kiss my scapular and I bless my, I bless my forehead, my eyes, my lips, my tongue because I talk a lot, and then my heart. And then I, uh, I get a little bit of coffee because that's I, a, little bit, a little bit of coffee, okay? Then they go in front of the Blessed Sacrament. We have a chapel in our, in our rectory. So if you, come, you become a priest, you'll be able to expose to the Blessed Sacrament. He's living with us underneath the same roof. You know? Then they spend about, maybe about an hour and a half in prayer. You know? Yeah, about an hour and a half. An hour, 20 minutes, an hour and a half in prayer. How about that, Jack? What do you think? Pretty good? Yeah, so I spend, and that's in silence. No, I like silence. I got the Blessed Sacrament exposed there, talking to Jesus, talking to Mary. There's a beautiful picture of Jesus el amigo que nunca falla. Beautiful picture. I have Our Lady Guadalupe on left. Blessed Sacrament. Candles. Ah, love it. And I'm, I'm a gangbuster. I'm a gangbuster after that. You give me a good hour and a half, two hours of prayer. I'm ready to conquer the world. <laughs> No, with God's help, of course. No? If I try to do it by myself, I'll fall flat on my face. <laughs> no, but really, that's uh, I recharge my spiritual batteries. I'm ready to go for it. No? You've heard of Fulton Sheen. At least your parents have heard of Fulton Sheen. It's called the, the Hour of Power. I spent an hour in front of the Blessed Sacrament every, every day for more than 50 years. He was the greatest communicator, probably in the history, probably in the world, last century. He and John Paul II, they probably have some rivalry in that. <laughs> okay, so to, to value silence so that you, you can pray better. Okay? You've got a lot of noise, you really can't pray. No? And you can't be listening to the Beatles and listening to God at the same time, right? <laughs> on, on Sunday, we had the uh, Lady Guadalupe, and they're doing the dance. And there was a, a guy who's been in our youth group for many years. His name is Balthazar. He was hitting the drums. And I said, I, I, I said, you know who his patron saint is? Who do you think? I'll tell you. Ringo Starr. <laughs> they don't know who Ringo Starr is, but you, you know who he is, right? You don't know. Okay, you're culturally deprived, you people, but Ringo Starr... <laughs> 
was one of the most important, the most important uh, music group in the history of the world. They're called the Beatles. No? Never heard of the Beatles, Jack? A little bit? Okay. <laughs> so he's the one that hit the drums. No? They say that he, he, said, he was the patron saint. Huh? <laughs> okay. So, who were among the first to visit Jesus? It would be the shepherds. What do they teach? Silence, simplicity, detachment from material things. Okay, another group that came, another group that came to um, to visit Jesus. Hello, anyone home? Anyone home there? Hello. No one home? Anyone awake? <laughs> no way? Did you say the three wise guys? No, no. <laughs> Not the three wise guys, but the who? The three wise men. Okay. They were not the wise guys, were they, Rita? No. <laughs> do, you, do you know the traditional names that we give to these three wise men? Do you? I didn't think so, so I'll tell you. So let's write down. These are the three traditional names for these wise men. Are you a good speller? Balthasar. There's one. Balthasar. Good spelling, Jack. Balthasar sounded out. Balthasar. Okay, the next one would be Melchor. Want me to spell that for you? M-E-L-C-H-I-O-R. Melchor. And what, is, what does a fish do if you pull him out of water, Mary? He, he gasps, right? Gasps? So his name is Gaspar, okay? Yes. <laughs> so Gaspar, Gaspar. G-A-S-P-A-R. Okay. So those are the traditional names for the three wise guys or the wise men? Oh, the wise men, okay. Thank you, in the way. Okay. You're not a wise guy, are you? No, okay. <laughs> Those are three traditional names for the uh, for the wise men. They say they possibly came from Persia, from Persia, a long way from Bethlehem. Um, so, what led these? What led them to Jesus? Did they get an email or maybe a good text message or a good phone call? A Pony Express, a good. How'd they know? Was it a comet? No. Okay, so they, they, they knew through a star. Now these were, they're called. Um, They're called astrologers. Okay. 
Now, astrologers would be, the interpretation would not be people that believed in good luck charms. Okay? But like the guy in the, the guy, the guy in the corner of Juan and Carson right next to McDonald's, no? And the psychic reader. Okay. These guys were not psychic readers. Because that would be wrong. None of you should go to that psychic reader to get your hand read. No, no, don't do that. No. Or look into the crystal ball. Well, they say it's been a certain Olympia where they're going to break an egg over you to get rid of the bad spirits, okay? <laughs> they do that. And that's superstition. That's wrong. But rather, these were men that were studying nature. Okay? They were studying nature, the elements of nature, how God was going to speak to them through these elements of nature. And one would be that of a star. Did you know that the sun is a star? Did you know that? It's a medium-sized star. The sun is actually a star. So they saw, I can say it was a supernova, but a very, it was a bright star, and they had studied possibly sacred scripture, recognized that there's going to be a bright star in the east, and if we can follow that, that's going to lead us to the Savior. So, for us, it's, imp- it's importance in our life of being exposed to God's beauty and presence through nature. Now, living in a city, as we do, probably most of you do not really appreciate nature. Probably not. I told your parents last night, take these kids out to do a nature walk. No, you, you, you're brought up and raised here in, in Southern California. I was brought up and raised on the East Coast, okay? Which is very different. I'm not going to say it's better, but it's very different there because you have a foliage season. Right here, you really don't have seasons. But if you ever go to the East Coast, you've got four very clear seasons. You've got fall, you've got winter, you've got spring, you've got summer. Very clear. In the winter, you've got snow. You might call autumn, we call it fall because of the leaves fall that on that time. Summer, it gets blisteringly hot and humid. And spring, you don't see it, but the, the, the flowers blossom in spring. So very clearly delineated, defined seasons on the East Coast. Is there anything in nature that you like? You ought to have a field trip and take him out to nature, have a nature walk, huh? Because here, here in Southern California, I mean, you were brought up and raised here, I, I was not. You've got two of the most beautiful things in nature. If you go a half hour in one direction, you encounter the beautiful mountains. You were brought up and raised there, right? The San Gabriel region. Now, those are beautiful mountains. You can see these snow-capped mountains. And they're only probably about 30, 30 miles away. You're driving your car, you're there in a half hour. Then if you get in your car and you drive about 15 minutes, you're, you're at the ocean. You ever walk along the ocean? Did you? You never went in the ocean yet, huh? 
I've swam in I've swam in the Atlantic Ocean and the Pacific Ocean, not the Indian Ocean yet. Okay, <laughs> I've been in both. No? So the ocean is it's a majestic manifestation of the power of God, really. But then you, then you go to the mountains, these majestic mountains. None of you have ever climbed a mountain. I've climbed mountains. The Alps in Italy. I climbed the Alps. As well as Mount Kearsarge in New Hampshire. You know what? Uh, one thing I really like is I like the sun. I'll tell you what. You're all, you ever, did you ever see the sun rise? You ever see the sun rising? And it's almost as if God is a painter. Almost as if God has a paintbrush. And he's swiping the sky and it's, it's yellow, it's orange and red. Ah, isn't that beautiful? Have you ever seen the sun go down? My mom lives in New Hampshire and she has a house, oh, it's, it's called Miramar, overlooking, overlooking a beautiful, a beautiful lake. And I'm having dinner with her. It's about 8 o'clock and the sun is going down. And you can see the sun going down and down and down. And it's touching the water. And then it's almost as if the, the water has a mouth, opens up its mouth and it swallows the sun. <laughs> then you can just see the, the glimmer of the sun over the, over the water. I'm a poet, I have to admit. <laughs> Yeah, you have, yeah, if you're if you're a writer, you're aware of these beautiful poetic images, huh? Isn't that beautiful? Yeah. I mean, I'm watching with my mom. Look at that, mom. See, the the sun is on the top of the water. After three minutes, it's half in the water, and after six minutes, it disappears. You just see the glimmer of the sun over the water. See, that's that's beauty. Okay. And behind the beauty is God. God is the creator of all beauty. Wherever have beauty and goodness and truth, the transcendentals of Aristotle and Thomas Aquinas, wherever there's goodness, beauty, and truth, God is present. I'll tell you another thing that really impressed me. I'm sure. Have you ever gone to the aquarium there in Long Beach? Is that close to where you used to work? Yes. Yeah. Okay. The aquarium. None of you have ever gone to an aquarium, huh? You know, you know what I like is I like the fish, but the variety of fish. Because even if you look at, even if you look like at a sunfish, or an eel, or maybe a catfish. You ever see catfish? Actually, they have that, they've got whiskers, no? Even within the catfish, there's a variety within the catfish. And that impressed me, just the, the variety of God's creation. Now, there on the East Coast, it's called foliage season. At the end of October, the beginning of November, you can see, if you're driving north from Boston, New Hampshire, New Hampshire, Maine, Maine into Canada, you're going up north, you can see hundreds of miles of these trees and it looks like you're going through a rainbow of trees. And, and on, on one leaf, you can get five colors. Do you believe that? 
incredible. No, one, one leaf. You got yellow, orange, red, blue, and brown. On one leaf. I mean, how could anyone say that God doesn't exist when you got so much beauty in nature? Be, behind this beauty in nature is God himself. That's what the psalm says. The fool says in his heart, there's no God. A fool. In the sun, the sun, you, you can even relate the sun to, you haven't studied it yet, but eventually you're going to be studying probably physics. Okay, You'll study physics probably ninth or 10th grade. What does the sun have? Two of the properties in physics. It has both light and heat. You know who also gives us light and heat? The Holy Spirit. You ever hear the Holy Spirit? He gives us light, light in our intellect, in your mind, and the love of God in your heart. And that's one of the one of the symbols for the Holy Spirit is, is fire. The Pentecost. What happened on Pentecost? The fire came down upon the apostles over their heads. So if you go out, if, if you take a nature walk and you have poetical, mystical eyes, the things you see in nature are going to make you think about God. Yeah. If you have eyes that are open, and a mind that's open, that makes me think about God. Okay, let's take the ocean. You've walked on the ocean? Okay, what, do you, uh, what do you have in the ocean? If you walk along, you see these huge waves that come in. Huge waves. The wave, so the wave comes in and it comes and it breaks and it goes back. That manifests two attributes of God. Eternity. No beginning, no end. You go there today, you go there tomorrow, you're going to have, you're going to have the waves coming and going, coming and going, coming and going. God is eternal. But also, sometimes the waves can be so powerful. Probably about when you were born, there was a, there was a, um, a wave, a tsunami. That's a tsunami that, in, that, that engulfed India, Thailand, and Malaysia. And it killed, I think, about a third of a million people. That was back probably about, I think, probably about when they were born, 14 years ago. Remember that? You see the, the power of those waves going up and descending upon and actually destroying these cities. So the waves also show us the power of God. The eternity of God and the power of God. Got that in the way? Alright, so... Allow these magi to lift up your minds to recognize that our God is a God of beauty and He manifests Himself in nature. God is not nature, but He's the author and the creator of nature. Got that? Okay, let's move on. So, what led them would be the star. Interpretation for us is that God speaks to us through the beauty of nature. God speaks to us through the beauty of nature. 
if you have eyes to see and ears to hear. Did you hear me? <laughs> okay, so these uh, three uh, wise guys or wise men? Wise men, thank you. No, these three wise men brought gifts. Do you remember... Do you remember the three gifts that were brought? Camila? I think you remember. Probably remember in Spanish, huh? Go ahead. What were those three gifts? Oh. Pretty good. Yes. Okay, so let's get them in order. So gold would be the first. Okay, then the second is usually the frankincense. Not not Frankenstein, okay? okay? Frankincense and myrrh. M-Y-R-H. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So these three gifts also... There's a symbolic interpretation of these, and all of them reflect a certain aspect of Christ. Okay? If you want to get to know Jesus better, these three gifts manifest who Christ is. So gold. So right next to gold, right down, his royalty. His royalty, and we'll put next to royalty that Jesus is the King of Kings. Okay? He's the King of Kings. If you have a certain Mexican lineage, you like to hear Que Viva Cristo Rey, right? Que Viva Cristo Rey. <laughs> Long live Christ the King. Que viva Cristo Rey, que viva la Virgen Guadalupe. Amen. <laughs> so, giving gold, you give gold to a king. Okay, how about next would be frankincense. Not Frankenstein, but frankincense, okay? <laughs> frankincense. We have here, we have here some some altar servers, huh? There's some altar servers here. Huh? Some altar servers here. Did you ever use the 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 incense? You ever notice the incense that we use? I love it. Father Dave doesn't like too much because he's got allergies. But I cannot get too much incense. I mean, I love it. I love incense. I love the smell. <laughs> Almost as if I like to call the fireman. I mean, I like that smoke going up. <laughs> they haven't called a fireman yet. You know, one of those things that alert that there's there's a fire in the building. It hasn't gone up yet. If it happens, I'm I'm the one that's guilty of it. I'm sure. <laughs> But you know, you have to understand what is the what is the meaning of this incense pot? It's called a thurible. In the charcoal you put there, the carbon you put there, and the incense you put on top of it. 
You notice that when I do it, I put, I actually throw, put three different spoonfuls on top. Three. Three is symbolic. And then they bless it afterwards. And we will do this also in funerals. Today I had a funeral. Okay. I had a funeral. So you see, uh, when we come up with that incense pot, the thurible, what we do, we, we incense the altar. You know why? Because that's where the body and blood of Christ is going to come. We incense the book of the Gospels because the Gospels, that's the word of God. Then the altar server actually incenses the priest. He represents Christ. If you learn how to use that incense, don't get so close you're going to hit me in the head with it. Okay, Jack? Okay? Don't do that, okay? Some they they come pretty close, no? <laughs> I have to back off a little bit. They come come pretty close, no? I know. So you see that white smoke is ascending on high. And I think we can derive three different symbolic interpretations. One is the white smoke ascending on high is symbolic of our, our prayers. When you have a funeral mass, the white smoke ascending on high is symbolic of the soul of the dead person. We want him to go to heaven, right? So when someone dies, you see the, the white smoke going up. We want the soul of the person there in the coffin. Well, he's not in the coffin anymore. He's been judged. We want him to ascend on high to heaven. Then St. Paul says, You are the fragrance of Christ. Yeah. You are the fragrance of Christ. Chanel number five. Beautiful perfume, huh? <laughs> He's related to St. Peter Chanel, by the way. He's related. He, he was. There's a relationship between the perfume and the saint of this parish. No? Learn something new every day, huh? Yeah, they're related. So there's three interpretations. Our prayers going up to heaven. The soul we want to go up to heaven. And becoming the fragrance of Christ, we're called to become holy. Because Christ radiates virtue. Okay, the next one would be myrrh. Now, now myrrh would be when you had a dead body, body, the body would be anointed with this ointment. We call that myrrh. We call it myrrh. So the frankincense also symbolizes the divinity of Christ. The fact that Christ, Jesus is God. Okay? If we're praying, we're praying to God. So the gold, Jesus is a king. The frankincense, Jesus is God. And the myrrh would be the perfume to be placing on the, body, the dead body of Jesus. So it points to the humanity of Jesus. The fact that he was a man. So if you want three words to make it simple to understand... Those three different gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh, symbolizes his royalty, his divinity, and his humanity. Easy to remember. His royalty, 
his divinity and his humanity. Royalty, king. Divinity, he's God. Humanity, he was a man. Like us in all things except sin. So next time you see those kings, they're going to have a much more deep understanding of those kings next time you see the kings underneath the Christmas tree, huh? All right, so there we have the, those three gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So let's take the word Christmas. Take the word Christmas. In Spanish, the word is Navidad. In Italian, the word is Natale. Parlez-vous français? In French, it is Noel. So we're learning about four different languages today, right? So in English, we say, we say the word Christmas. So Christmas is a compound word. Do you know? You guys learn a little bit of grammar? You have a simple word, a compound word, right? So it's a compound word, Christmas. So let's divide that word into two words. Are you ready? Christ. And then we have Mass. So it means the Mass of Christ. How about that? Interesting, huh? Christmas, Christ, Mass, the Mass of Christ. I think our language has the best interpretation. <laughs> no offense, Italians and Spanish-speaking people or French. I think that's a pretty good interpretation. The Mass of Christ. And we're going to notice that there is a certain relationship between the Mass and Christmas. Because Christmas is, is the birthday of Christ. Is Christ going to be born in every Mass? You bet your bottom dollar, of course. He comes present to us in the Mass. Alright. So a little bit of uh, etymology today. Meaning of words. Okay. okay, how can Jesus be born in my heart? How can Jesus be born in my heart? I'll tell you. When I lift up the host in the Mass, and I say, this is my body, and I say, this is my blood, that's el gran milagro. That's a great miracle. What's happening in that moment is there's a great miracle happening is that Jesus was born in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago. He's born in my hands every time I celebrate Mass. And when I say, the body of Christ, amen, he's born in your heart. When I was their age, we used to sing, O Little House of Bethlehem. Remember that? Mary and Rita? O little house of Bethlehem. These are tradition, traditional English Christmas hymns. No? O little house of Bethlehem. I mean, it's a, it's a beautiful hymn. 
Let me tell you, though, where, where is the little house of Bethlehem? I'm going to tell you where, where is the little, little house of Bethlehem. Right in your heart. Right in your heart. Right in your heart. Yep. Right there. Your, 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 your soul, that's una casita. That's a small house. You receive Holy Communion, Jesus is born in the very depths of your heart. Wow. That's beautiful if you think about it. So we want to welcome Him, don't we? We don't want to say what they said the innkeepers, there's no place for you. We don't want to say that, do we? No. No. Remember? Remember? There's no place for you? Jesus could not find a place in the inn he was rejected. We don't want that to be us, do we? We want to say, welcome Jesus. Whenever you want to come, my door's open. <laughs> yeah. Whenever you want to come, Lord, the, the door is open. It's wide open. Always. And if you live like that, when you die, God's going to open up heaven for you. And you're going to be there for all eternity. Yeah. That's right. If we have our, we have our, our home open to Jesus, when you die... You're really not going to die. You're going to go to heaven. And you're going to go up there to heaven and help the people down here to get up to heaven. In the meantime, we're fighting to get to heaven. And once we get to heaven, we'll be saints and we'll be able to look down below and we'll be able to help those people who are struggling on earth to get up to heaven. That's the way it is. It's called the mystical body of Christ. Their church triumphant, their church militant. Huh? It's called a family. Family works together to help each other, right? So, uh, how can Jesus be born in my heart? By receiving Holy Communion with love. Got that, Jack? By receiving Communion with love. Do you know, about a about hundred years ago, people received Communion about twice a year. Yeah. Do you know that? There was a Pope, Pope Pius X. You know that story? What happened, Tomas? Yes, yeah, so St. Pope Pius X, who lived about 110 years ago, he reasoned, why can't children receive Holy Communion? So he lowered it to the age of reason, which is about seven. Now, little children can receive Holy Communion. But 100 years ago, like teenagers or adults would receive communion. And they would receive communion Easter and Christmas and that was about it. How often can we receive communion now? Do you know? Every day you can even receive communion twice. You go to two, two full Mass so you can receive communion even twice a day. Wow. problem is we can take him for granted. That's the danger. Yes? Well, two is enough, don't you think? Yeah. yeah, two is. I think. I think if most people they received them once a day, that would be enough. Problem is, you could fall into a routine and it becomes mechanical. Better receive communion. You really prepare yourself well, a lot of fervor, than maybe rushing from one mass to the next. So you have to prepare yourself. Got that? You can, you can become mechanical. You can become a routine. I think if you can't go to Mass, you're, you're going to be on vacation for a couple of weeks. 
we're already organizing with, with Deacon Jonas that you're going to be coming three days after Christmas and you're going to be seeing The Chosen. Any, any of you see The Chosen? Well, you're going to see it. It's a beautiful, it's a beautiful movie depiction of Jesus Christ. And you'll be able to see it and be able to talk about who Jesus Christ is in your life. Okay. So, that's just a preview. Upcoming attractions, right? <laughs> I spoke with my spiritual director today. He said, you were inspired by that one. Go for it. Yeah. So we're going we're gonna to organize that. Yeah? So, uh, how can Jesus be born in my heart? How can I clean my interior Bethlehem? How can you clean your interior Bethlehem? I'll tell you. Go to Confession. Go to confession. You're cleaning out the dirt of your soul. You're making your your interior Bethlehem clean so that God can come there with a lot of joy, right? And who better to do it than Father Broom? Clean sweep with Father Broom, right, Rita? <laughs> you thought that I was Father Larry, no? Father Broom, okay? Clean sweep with Father Broom, huh? Clean sweep. What are other feasts in the Christmas season? So you got Christmas, December 24th at night, La Noche Buena, Christmas Eve, and then you got Christmas Day, 25th. Then there are other feast days we celebrate during the Christmas season, and they would be? They write down Holy Family, at the Holy Family. Then you have Mary, the mother of God. Mary, the mother of God. And then the last would be the Epiphany. Epiphany, which would be the feast day of the kings. Those are the three principal feast days that we celebrate in the Christmas season. Christmas season ends with the baptism of Jesus. And we enter into ordinary time, up until Lent. Right? Okay, so write down three gifts that we can give to Jesus for his birthday. We want to give him gifts, right? Okay, three gifts. So one gift would be, hey, making, uh, making a good confession. What do you think, Mary? Rita, you agree with that? Making a good confession, that's a good way to give Jesus a clean heart, right? The best gift, yes. And the second letter B would be, receive Holy Communion with great love. That's Christmas, Jesus being born in your heart. So receiving Jesus with great love. And I would put next to it as as often as possible. You get two weeks of vacation, you got a lot of free time. Give the Lord give the Lord a half hour, forty five minutes. You have twenty four hours. We end up by vacation we end up by wasting a lot of time. 
You're not going to waste time if you go to Mass and receive COVID communion. You're using your time in the best way possible. Right? Imagine you're saying, you know, Mom, I'm going to be on vacation for two weeks. Uh, Mom, um, could, we, could we go to Mass every day for two weeks? Your mother would probably have a heart attack, wouldn't she? <laughs> what? I didn't, I didn't hear that right. I don't, uh, I don't understand English. Satan's bad. <laughs> they might be surprised, but it would be a, a, a very happy surprise, wouldn't it? No, I think most of your parents would say, "Why? You want to go to daily mass? I'll go along with you." No. So we take advantage of the opportunities that we have. Juan Diego walked 14 miles. And when I was on vacation a couple of years ago in New Hampshire, I actually walked 14 miles. I, met, I had a problem. I didn't have the right shoes on, so I got these blisters on my feet. I could barely walk for two days afterward. <laughs> Make sure if you're going to walk 14 miles, you get good shoes and good socks, okay? Well, this guy walked 14 miles because he wanted to go to Mass. And he wanted to study his catechism. Even though he's 57 years old, he recognized he still had to learn a lot. Okay, then the next gift would be <clears throat> Are you ready? Buckle your seatbelt now. Not to fight with your brother or your sister for two weeks. I hear, I hear you mo moaning and groaning, huh? Oh, Father, I'll do anything, but I have, to, I have to fight with my brother and my sister, otherwise I can't be myself, huh? <laughs> it takes two to fight, you know? You're going to fight, just get up, and your, your brother and sister can be doing shadow boxing, huh? <laughs> I want to put one more, okay? Write, write, write down letter C. And uh, you know what I'm going to say. i got to be faithful to my charism. Pray the rosary. We're going to pray the rosary too, right? It would be a really good gift if you, for Christmas and other, go to the, go to the bookstore here and, and, and buy my new book and give it to your parents as a, as a Christmas gift. Amen? <laughs> That'd be a good one. All right, so let's say, Hail Mary, that we really prepare ourselves for the birthday of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. Blessed the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for our sinners, now and at the hour of our death. The Lord be with you. Now, may God bless you, the Father, and the Son, the Holy Spirit. Amen. Uh, bless you. <laughs>